Thank you so much, Pat. What, what a blessing and a gift. I, I felt like a double portion of your spirit, Pat, being handed on to so many other people. For those of you in person and who are joining us virtually today, thank you for being with us. For everyone who just stood, especially the uh, teachers, educators, staffs, janitors in our schools, as a church, can we just put our hands together and thank God for them. And this is... <clears throat> This is not just our applause of gratitude, but I want you to hear us cheering for you today. We had a chance this past Monday to have the Shelby Oaks staff on our campus again, which we were not able to do last year. Usually we have our three adopted schools. We provide some kind of lunch for them and during or, uh, orientation week, and Anna helped put together a lunch for them this past Monday. And I got to tell you, it may have just been me, but uh, the faces on the Shelby Oaks staff as they came in here, there was just weariness. They're coming out of the longest school year of their lives and the shortest summer of their lives. So we surround all of you today who stood cheering that God will use you and, and provide you each day with the strength you need. It's about uh, seven, eight, maybe nine years ago, I almost had to take a leave of absence. I almost had to take a sabbatical because I was losing my religion. We had a squirrel that got up in our attic and it wouldn't go away. How many of you ever had a squirrel, a raccoon, a possum get in your attic and you just could not figure out how to get rid of it? This went on for weeks. We tried, I tried everything. And this was a squirrel with no manners. It would eat breakfast at 4.45 with its mouth wide open. It wouldn't even chew with its mouth closed. And it ate breakfast right above where Casey and I would sleep. And for days, I felt the fruit of the Spirit leaving my body. Anger was coming over me. I didn't know what to do. I set traps. It didn't work. I sprayed repellent. It didn't work. I tried to close up every hole around our roof. We were living in a home at the time that was over 100 years old. I tried to hole up, put something in the holes of every hole that I thought a squirrel could get in. It still was getting in there. And then one morning at 4.45, the thing started eating breakfast. And Casey was like, Josh, you have to do something. And when my wife asked me to do something, I'd do it. I went outside, I banged on the, where I thought the dude was eating breakfast, and he came out and our eyes met. Our roof was about 20 feet high, our eyes met. And it was on. I had nothing in my hands to do anything with, but he would go running on one side of the roof and I would go running around the other side and our eyes would meet. And we're just playing this game of chase. And I'm not exaggerating. Then came the moment when from 20 feet up on a roof, this squirrel jumped. It was like the Matrix. It was like American Ninja Warrior all over again where he jumped and landed on the ground. And I'm pretty sure he did like a tuck and roll. It was, it was this beautiful leap and then he took off. And so finally, weeks later, we were able to take care of our squirrel problem. And to this day, I, I used to think squirrels were so cute. I used to avoid them when I saw them walking across the road, which I still don't like intentionally try to hit them. But I, I don't have the same feeling about squirrels that I had years ago. Because man, a squirrel got in my attic and it wouldn't go away. And I don't want to compare squirrels to COVID, all right? But it feels like, like there's something in the attic and it just won't go away. Like we've tried everything. We've tried, we've tried putting stuff in all the holes where we thought it was coming in. We, we tried to, to put up repellent and it seems like the squirrels just won't get out of the attic. I don't know about you, the last couple of weeks I feel a little discouraged. I was hoping that we were making greater progress both in our country and around the world when it came to COVID and it just seems like it's something that's not, not going away. And as a church, we put so many plans for months into the month of August 
where we were calling this a month, we were taking a plunge, and we were excited about initiatives, and we were excited about expanding our Bible class options and, and other in-person activities, and we were calling this a whole month of plunge activities, and now we're having to hit pause on a few of those. They're going to happen. It's going to happen, but there are a few things we're just hitting pause on. We're not canceling them. We're hitting pause. We were going to have a come and see Sunday next week, uh, an open house type thing where everybody was invited to walk all over our building to see what was going to be uh, information and content that was going to be spiritually forming people, and we're going to hit pause on that. We'll do it at some point. It's just not going to happen next week. We're going to hit pause on our ice cream social that was going to happen last week. And some of you hear that, and, and it hurts your feelings a little bit. And some of you are thinking, well, if you hit pause too long... I don't eat ice cream in the wintertime, and some of you are thinking, we don't care. If you have ice cream social in January, we will be there because we bluebell 12 months a year, right? And there are some things this month we're not hitting pause on. We're not hitting pause on the awakening that will happen next Saturday at 5 o'clock where we're invited to come into this space for a worship experience where we're going to cry out to God together, which is what, what we all need and want to do right now. We're going to have a baptism Sunday on August 29th where you're invited. If you have not been baptized into Christ, we're inviting you for the next few weeks to take seriously a journey of leading up to making what is the most important decision in your life that you will ever make. And for those of us who have been baptized, it's a Sunday for us to reflect on our baptisms. We're moving forward with a view into the view on the 29th where if you have not placed membership with this church and identified with this body, we want you to do that. We want to be able to pastor you to the very best of our ability. But over the last couple of weeks, when we see what's happening with COVID, I mean, it's easy for some of us to be discouraged or even angry or to allow uncertainty to cloud our hope. We need, this morning, we need a vision of a better, bigger story. So let me just ask you this. Where are the eyes of your heart? What are you focusing on right now? What are the eyes of your heart focusing on right now? And let me, let me do this by asking two questions. One, where do you go to for daily information about what is happening in the world? Right, where do you go to for daily information? And let me ask you this, this, where do you go to for a daily dose of hope? Because most likely where you go to for a daily dose of information of what is happening in the world isn't the right place to go to for a daily dose of hope for what you need in the world. And I don't want to get all like overly religious or or just overly like preachy today, but sometimes we just got to get like real elementary in the way we think about faith, that Jesus is the only one who can provide you with both the information and the hope you need that can give you the joy you need to make it through every day in your life. We need a greater vision today. And if the vision for your life is only about you and your people, it's not the vision of God. The vision of God is about you, but it's also... It's for the good of the world. I want to invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 47. And as you do that, I need to say just a couple of things. I doubt anybody who's participating in this worship service today would say Ezekiel is your favorite book in the Bible. And today, my goal is not to try to convince you that Ezekiel needs to become one of the favorite books, your favorite books in the Bible. There's a good chance some of you who are participating right now, you have no clue where Ezekiel is and you've never read the book of Ezekiel. If there was a quiz on it, there's nothing you would get right about the book of Ezekiel. I need you to trust me today that I don't ever want to stand up on this stage with my only goal being to provide you with historical information about the Bible or that my only job is to provide you with knowledge about the Bible. I hope that you trust that as I wrestle with God 
about what to bring you and what content to place in front of this church on a Sunday that I'm thinking about information, but I'm always thinking about formation. I want to give you information that I think could really help you in life to live a life of hope and joy and something that is applicable to you. And here's my ask for you. It's for the next 30 minutes as we engage in teaching and then also as we come to the table here in just a little while is that you give your attention and your focus to God. That you limit time on social media because, let's be honest, you can make it the next 30 minutes without it. And that you will take 30 minutes to surrender ourselves to God. Ezekiel 47 is part of a vision that we have here in this church which centers around the word awakening. And I want to read through these first 12 verses. This has become one of my favorite visions in all of the Old Testament. And here's how it goes. And I want to point out a few things as we go through these 12 verses. The man, now this is a vision, I want you to know that. It's a vision that's been given to Ezekiel. So Ezekiel isn't actually walking around Jerusalem. This is a vision that has been given to him, with it, which in the vision, there's a man who brought me back to the entrance to the temple. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple. I want, you to make, I want to make sure you have that. Under the threshold of the temple, toward the east, for the temple face east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. And he then brought me out through the north gate, led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. Now, I don't want you to get caught up in trying to understand and figure out all the directions. If you want to do that later on, go do it. All I want you to know from those first couple of verses in Ezekiel 47 is there is a trickle that started in the Holy of Holies, like the center place of the temple. And it's going to flow out of the temple. In verse 3, it says this. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. Everybody say ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. I want you to say knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. I want you to say waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I couldn't cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. A river that no one could cross. And he asked me, and I want you to circle this if you circle in your Bible or you underline or you highlight in some way. He asked me this, son of man, do you see this? Like, do you see what's happening right now? We're now in the vision. What started in the temple as a small little trickle, like a little drip, has now moved out of the temple hundreds of feet where it became something that was ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep. And when you think about rivers and streams, rivers and streams begin by what, what happens on mountaintops. Or it begins with bodies of water, like larger bodies of water, of, like seas or lakes. That's where streams and rivers come from. Streams and rivers don't begin in buildings. But in this vision... It's not a stream that began at the very top of one of the holy mountains you read about in the Old Testament. In this vision, it's a stream that begins in the sanctuary. It's a stream that begins in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. It's a stream that begins there. And it's going to move from the temple, from the place where the glory of God connected and met with people. And it's going to move out from there. And he says, do you see this? Like, do you see what's happening? Do you see how this vision is unfolding? Then it says, then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters into the Dead Sea. Some of your versions say stagnant sea. 
And when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Now this is a vision because for thousands of years, this has never happened to the Dead Sea. Casey and I had a chance a few years ago where we floated, I guess we tried to swim, we floated in the Dead Sea. I raced Brad Bellamy and Jeremy Upton as we swam through the Dead Sea. I accidentally kicked water in both of their mouths, which I'm pretty sure they can both still taste the salt that came from the Dead Sea. And for thousands of years, you have not been able and you can't find any vegetation or any signs of life in the Dead Sea. You won't find fish there. There's no vegetation there. But in this vision, the impossible is made possible. That in this vision, what's been given to Ezekiel is that a day is coming when God's going to take something that is dead and God's going to make life out of it. God's going to take something like the Dead Sea and create some fresh water from it. In verse 9, swarms of living creatures will live. Wherever the river flows, there will be large numbers of fish, because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to the Eglium. Whenever I think Engedi, I think of the dozens of psalms that David wrote from the Engedi, which was massive valleys and vegetation and a lot of caves where David would have hidden. These are places where some of the songs we sing today, it was their inspiration. The places spread, uh, and from those places, there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of, of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither. This is Psalm chapter 1 right here. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for the healing. This is one of the last visions you get in the Bible in Revelation 21. talks about a river that flows and the leaves provide healing for all of the nations. The vision that Ezekiel gets at the very end of Ezekiel is a vision of a trickle, a little drip that begins in the temple and it flows all the way to the Dead Sea and everything around it is made into fruitfulness. Everything around it is restored in some kind of way. Now this gives me a way, it has for a long time, to think about what happens when we come together on Sunday mornings. That I know the church doesn't have to be in a building with a sign called the church in order for it to be the church. But there's something about a beginning place being in the presence of God that makes restoration throughout the entire world happen. A lot of us, we want restoration, we want healing for the nations, but this is a vision where the focus isn't just on the restoration and healing to come to all the world. The focus is on what happens in the temple, and when God is restored, not that God needs restoration, but when people restore God to God's rightful place in their worship, their lives are made right, and fruit goes throughout the entire world. So you being on a porch by yourself with God isn't church. It can be activities, it can be connection with God, but that's not what the church would call church. Just being with friends, sipping on a glass of wine or coffee, enjoying fellowship, that, that's not what the New Testament would call church. It's fellowship, it's meaningful, but that's not church. Church is when the, the gathered people of God, their eyes are focused on God. 
Church is the church when people are together praying. Church is the church when people are together with their focus on God. Church is the church when bread and wine are involved. Church is the church when a vision is that it's not just about us coming together, but we know we leave here for the good of the world. So some of the phrases I love to use on Sundays is, church, what we're doing right now in this worship time, this isn't the only place we come to meet with God. It's where we learn how to meet God everywhere else. There is still something powerful that happens when people know that when we come into a sanctuary, when the people of God come to focus on God, God's focus is to redeem people for the sake of the entire world. I want to help you, because I think this is important, just to understand a little bit about Ezekiel. We know very little about this guy. There's some prophets, and you can know a lot about them. You You can... You can read the Bible and you can find out a lot of stuff about Jeremiah or Amos or Hosea. There's not, a much, there's not much about Ezekiel. Pretty much the only biography you have about this guy happens in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. And here's what it says. In my 30th year. So there, right, right there, you know how old this guy is when he starts to write or to preach what now we know as Ezekiel. In my 30th year. In the fourth month on the fifth day. Now, Ezekiel does this a dozen times, over a dozen times throughout the book, where he tells you like that date and the time when certain visions came to him, when certain events happened. So Ezekiel doesn't just speculate like there was a year. Like he tells you on this date, this time, on the fourth month, the uh, the fifth day. Well, I was among the exiles. That tells you something right there. I was among the exiles by the Kibar River. The heavens were open and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the, Ezekiel the what? Ezekiel the priest. Not Ezekiel the prophet, Ezekiel the priest. Not every prophet in the Bible was a priest. When Ezekiel is described in Ezekiel 1, 1 through 3, he's not described as a prophet, he's described as a priest. There are some who argue, Kit, that the book of Ezekiel is a book about worship. It's a book that from the beginning to the very end is about restoring worship to the people. He's a priest. The son of Buzai. What a name, right? Buzi, Buzai. But the Kibar River in the land of the Babylonians. By the Kibar River in the land of the Babylonians. And there the hand of the Lord was on him. There's seven things I want to tell you about Ezekiel. And I I think this is important. This isn't just for information. I think this is important. And let me begin with this, all right? We, we, I think we know that Ezekiel was born in the year 621 B.C. Here's why I think this is important, because this was around the same time that Josiah, the King Josiah, had a religious reformation. There was revival. So Ezekiel was born in a time where the land was experiencing spiritual revival. It wasn't a revival that lasted a long time, but it was a revival in which there was an awakening. To be a priest meant that you had to be born into priesthood. So his dad was a priest. So there's a good chance Josiah was born with a dad and a mother who were experiencing revival and he reaped the benefits from that. Secondly, we know this, that Ezekiel was a part of the second deportation to Babylon Babylon in the year 597. So if you're part of the second deportation, there had already been a first deportation which happened about five years before that. So Ezekiel had witnessed the first deportation, and by witnessing the first one, he knew that there's another one that's coming, and he was a part of the second one. So just looking at his age, around the age of 25, Ezekiel is exiled. So he's moved away from the land, where now the temple 
has been decimated. The temple is no more. So the place where Ezekiel was taught scripture and taught about God and was soon to be made a priest was no more. He had no place to do all of his priestly duties. Now he's sent into exile. The third thing is this. Ezekiel was a prophet and a priest. We learn from the book of Numbers in chapter 4 that to be a priest, the minimum age was the age of 30. Somewhere between the age of 30 and 50. That is the window of time when you could become a priest. He became a priest at the age of 30. And you read in Leviticus chapter 9 that to be a priest meant that you had to have a high view of the glory of God. Hopefully some encounter with the glory of God. Fourthly, is that he was called in the ministry. So he's called in the ministry, and according to Ezekiel, it's his fifth year into exile. So he's called into priesthood and into what it means to be a prophet right around the same time. And I don't know why God waited five years to call him in the ministry. Maybe it was God trying to see, how is Ezekiel going to handle being in exile? Being surrounded by so much uncertainty, not really sure what's happening next, being away from home. And maybe it was Ezekiel's faithfulness in the first five years that caused God or led God to call him into public ministry to help lead people. Fifthly, what you have is this. I mean, you know Ezekiel was married. And not only was he married, he was also widowed. He wasn't married very long. And that story is told in Ezekiel chapter 24 where he talks about in the year 588 how his wife had passed away. Sixthly, <clears throat> sixth thing, he lived by the river. He lived in a tent down by the river. All right, that's where, that's where Ezekiel, like they, they set up camp down by a river. Now, why that is important is exiles would do their best to try to set up their community close to a river. This wasn't just so they could have fresh water or something to swim in. This was for religious purposes. You even have this in the New Testament with Lydia, where people would find a place of worship close to a body of moving water. And this is where the exiles were able to set up their home, their community, which provided them with the place where they could still practice their religion. They could practice and have a place to worship God. And lastly was this. Ezekiel prophesied for about 20 years. So when you read a book like Ezekiel, I don't want you to think this is a book that happened because Ezekiel took a writing break or a study break and within a couple of months he was able to write what you now have is all 48 chapters of the book of Ezekiel. This was written over a 20-year period of time. This was a lot of experience. And nowhere in the book of Ezekiel is he even called an author. He was a preacher, a priest, and a prophet. And at some point, he or a scribe would write down either the visions or the word that he had from God to give to people. And it has become this book over 20 years. Isaiah was written over 40 years. So as you read Ezekiel, know that this is two decades of information. Two decades of a word from God that came to a, a man of God, a leader of God, to the people. And I think all this is important for us. Because Ezekiel is in a foreign land, away from home, surrounded by uncertainty, not knowing how long, called by God to be a faithful man of God in a time like that. Speaking to people who are surrounded by a cloud of uncertainty. <coughs> Excuse me. And for Ezekiel, can you imagine how hard it is trying to give a vision of the future that can't be seen 
to people who are living in a present that could be felt. Like trying to give a vision of a brighter future, of the restoration of God that can't be seen or experienced now. And he's trying to speak to people who in their present day, like it could be felt. Right, and here we are, hopefully trying to get a brighter future of restoration and a better world and whatever COVID-free world might look like while we're living in a present that can be felt. Ezekiel's not given a vision in Ezekiel 47 of something that had happened or something that was happening. He was trying to paint a vision that was in alignment with the heart of God to give people a hope to live into. Ezekiel was experiencing these visions and then handing them on to the people of God as a way to say, keep your eyes open because a day is on its way. When God's going to restore all things. Like, stay awake. Don't focus on the circumstance because there is a fresh move that's going to come from God one day and we want to be ready for it. Do you know every 500 years since Christianity has been around, so about 2,000 years, every 500 years there seems to be a pruning and a pretty massive awakening. And I'll take a little more time to explain what I mean in the coming weeks, but around the year 500 A.D., 1,000 A.D., 1,500 A.D., there was a pruning, there was almost a redefining, there was a, like, double downing on, on convictions, but a reimagining with God of what it means to be the people of God in those times, and we may be in one of those now. And throughout the history of our nation, there have been multiple events called awakenings, Massive revivals, or revivals where there were mass conversions, where hundreds of thousands of people throughout this country came to Jesus, started churches, repented of sins, repented of social sins, to try to create a better world. These awakenings that people are invited to be part of. And when you look at some of the epidemics, not so much pandemics, but epidemics early on in the church, in the year 165 or in the year 251, where there were epidemics that would break out in Roman towns, where some of them said that the mortality rate was 30%. Could you imagine that? Or one, I mean, 30%. Could you find a family unit in those times who did not have a relative? who had not passed away at some point in those epidemics. Yet in those times, you read about the reputation that the church had. You read about kings and emperors and people from the outside, not just insiders, people from the outside, who would talk about the church, who would talk about Christians, those Christ ones, those people who belong to Jesus. And they would look at them, and the way they talked about them was, those are people who don't seem to give up. Those are people who haven't given in. Those are people who seem to still be focused on their mission and their vision and they they gather with a purpose and they're serving other people and they're loving and they're kind. It's a reputation that outsiders had because when the church is at its best, there is this power that comes in and through the church when our eyes are focused on God. Nothing can hold back the power of the church when its eyes are focused on God. So in times when we're surrounded by a pandemic and social unrest 
we can glance at those things, but when our eyes are focused on God, it's God who gives us the hope and the joy and the wisdom on how to navigate all of life. So the invitation of God is, will you step into the river? And some of you right now, like even as you read Ezekiel 47, you may be thinking about your own faith. And some of you probably heard some of the images in Ezekiel 47, and you may be thinking, man, I'm, I'm still at a point in my life where I'm ankle deep or knee deep, or I was hoping that at some point I would be waist deep or, or neck deep, but I still feel like I'm ankle deep. And I think the voice of God would come to you today and say, for those of you right now in this room who may be 60 or 70 years old and you feel like you're ankle deep, you could think that God may be disappointed with you, or you could hear the voice of God calling you just a little deeper. Come just a little further. A few years ago, and I say a few years ago because my kids were six and four, so this was probably eight years ago, we went over to Heber Springs and hung out with some friends. Patrick and Chauncey Parson went with us, and we went to go jump off the cliffs. Now, the cliffs we originally went to were cliffs that were on kind of that small little island, not too far from the larger cliffs. And they were cliffs that were like eight, ten-foot jumps. Well, my kids were six and four. And we went over there to see how they would like it. They loved it. And I was hoping they wouldn't see the larger cliffs because based on the water levels, sometimes they can be 25, 30 feet. This was a summer in which they were high. Water level was low. And the boys saw it and they said, we want to go jump off those. I was like, Casey, we... I don't want to go all the way over there because there's not a way to drive there. You kind of have to walk over there. And by the time we get there, they're going to look, they're going to get to the edge and they're going to look over and they're not going to want to do it. It's going to be a waste of our time. The boys are like, we want to go jump off the big ones. So we, along with the Parsons, we walked all the way over to those cliffs. And when we got to the cliff, my two boys, six and four, took off running to the side. And I was like, stop, stop, because I knew I didn't want a six and four year old jumping off a 25 foot cliff with no adult in the water. So now we had to decide which adult's going to go first. And I looked at my wife and I was like, baby, you gave birth to them. You should probably be the one that receives them in the water. And she's like, I, I'm not going in. So then I looked at Patrick because Patrick had just become an elder in this church. In fact, he's my personal elder, has been for seven, over seven years. I said, Patrick, let's just think about what the Bible says about what it means to be a shepherd. Sheep follow their shepherds. Shepherds lead the way for their sheep. So theologically, like it's only right for you to lead the way and then to receive your sheep in the water. Patrick wasn't by my theology. So I jumped in. Before my head came resurfaced, I heard a splash to my right and a splash to my left. The boys took the plunge. For you today, faith, it may be just you just need to trust deeper. Like, you just got to let go and jump. And whether you choose today just to let go and jump in the trust, or you choose just to take a small step, there's an invitation. Now, here's the thing with Ezekiel 47 and with life today. There are a lot of times we want an outcome for something we're not willing to begin. We want the fruit of something we're not willing to sow. I would think that most of us in this room would say you want a better prayer life, but you're not taking five minutes a day or ten minutes a day to sit with God to develop a deeper prayer life. I would think there are people here who want a thriving marriage, but you're not taking the 20 minutes of emotional connection every day in order to, to be in that place. Like sometimes we want the outcome or fruit from something we're not willing to begin or to sow. So this is a month where you're just invited like, 
God's inviting you, just take, take a step. Take a step in faith, a step into God's love, a step into surrender, a step into trust. Believing that God somehow is working good for us who believe. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you will, will you just open your hands uh, in your lap where you are just to receive from God? To you, God, the, ult- like the ultimate inviter in life, invite us into deeper places this week. Whether it is with a whisper, a shout, a word from a friend, or a vision, invite us deeper. And God, as we sense and hear an invitation from you, I pray, God, that you give us hearts that will just move, that will surrender and trust and move, even when we feel paralyzed in life. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.